Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to read verses 16 to 28 and then 42 through 44. And then the sermon is based on this passage, but obviously not all of it. It's a long passage, and so I just kind of dipped in to a number of, of verses in the passage so that we could meditate together on different aspects of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we'll begin reading 1 Corinthians 15 at verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are not, are put under, are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted, who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subject, subjected to him, who put all things, in, all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. And then moving to verses 42 through 44. This is about the resurrection of the body, the resurrected body. So it is with the resurrection of the body. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our great and glorious God in heaven, we come before you. You are the author of this word. You have spoken to us from, from outside of this world, from yourself. You have revealed yourself to us in your truth. You have revealed to us the meaning of the events of Jesus Christ and all that he has done, and you have given us hope in the face of death. Father, we pray that as we meditate on these things, that 
we may truly rejoice that you may speak to our hearts through your own word so that we are greatly uh, moved and comforted and excited by these truths. Lord, they are familiar to us and yet they are the most important truths for us to be thinking about and to be living in the light of. And so we pray that you would bless your word to us in a mighty way this morning. Amen. During the Second World War, C.S. Lewis preached a sermon, which was not really a sermon, it was more of a talk, but he said something insightful, which is what C.S. Lewis is known for, that is, saying or writing insightful things from a Christian perspective. The title of the piece is Learning in Wartime. And what he discussed was the, the strangeness of studying in a university while so much killing and dying was going on in the Second World War. And in that, in the course of his talk, he gives a perspective on, on uh, why it was important to continue studying things like literature and history, which had nothing to do with the war effort. But along the way, he makes a point that is an important biblical point and relevant for us in the light of the fact that so many people are dying in the current pandemic, we hear the language of wartime all the time during this time of pandemic. And this is what some of what C.S. Lewis says. He says, what does war do to death? It certainly does not make it more frequent. 100% of us die and the percentage cannot be increased. Yet war does do something to death. It forces us to remember it. War makes death real to us. And that would have been regarded as one of its blessings by most of the great Christians of the past. They thought it good for us to always be aware of our mortality I am inclined to think they are right. That's one quote. Here's another similar from a different part of the talk. He says, I think it's important to try to see the present calamity in a true perspective. The war creates no absolutely new situation. It simply aggravates the permanent human situation so that we can no longer ignore it. Human life has always been lived on the edge of a precipice. Now, Lewis was not minimizing the terrible calamity of millions of lives cut short in the war. Each life lost because of the war was a terrible loss. And he makes it clear as he, as he makes his points in that speech that that shouldn't in no way be minimized by what he is saying. The point he is making, though, is that in times of peace, it's easy to forget that we are all heading towards the day of our death and that war has a way of making what is real more real in our minds. And we can say the same thing about the current pandemic. The pandemic is such a big deal because so many people are dying because of it. 
the social distances and the virtual uh, shutdown of the economy are attempts to save lives, to minimize the loss of life. And every day we're told to do everything we can to stop the spread of the virus, especially by staying home and because doing so will help save lives. The reason the whole world is upside down because of this pandemic is because the virus is killing large number of people. But C.S. Lewis's point about the Second World War is just as relevant to us in this pandemic. The pandemic does not make death more frequent because the ultimate death rate is always 100% without minimizing the tragedy of so many lives being lost earlier than they would otherwise have been. Because of the pandemic, far more significant and serious reality is that every one of us will one day die. One of the burdens of the Bible is to to urge us to live our lives in the light of the certainty of the fact that we will all one day die, and that after death we will go either to heaven or to hell. Hebrews 9.27 says it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Death and final judgment put all of life into perspective, and that's just as true and as, as just as important and just as urgent in good times as it is in a time of pandemic. The the pandemic impresses death on our minds more forcefully because so many people are dying and and our risk of dying sooner than later is increased. Some of us are in the category of those who are more vulnerable to this virus. But as we hear repeatedly in the news, people in most age groups, are dying. It's important, it's possible for any one of us to be taken by this virus. Most of us will not die in this pandemic. Relatively, young people are relatively safe from dying. But the much more serious reality is the fact that we are all going to die. The 20 or 30 or 50 years of life that we may still yet live on this earth. They are certainly not insignificant, but the Bible does insist that even a long life is fleeting. Psalm 103, 15 and 16 says, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. Death on a large scale like we see in this pandemic, should remind us of death on a much larger scale that takes place every single generation. The reality is that every single person alive today will one day die unless the Lord returns first. And without minimizing the law, the sadness of a huge loss of life in the pandemic, the certainty that we will all die at some point is of far greater significance. And the message of the Bible is about what Jesus has done to rescue us from the fear of death so that we can face it in hope, knowing that if we're trusting in him, he has given us eternal life. Today is Easter. 
We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The background to Easter is death. The problem that the resurrection solves is the problem of death. And that's why appreciating the meaning of the resurrection is rooted in feeling something of the weight of how serious death is. Death is so sad. We want to live. We want our loved ones to live. Life is precious. Our relationships are precious. Losing a loved one is the hardest thing we can experience. And for ourselves, we want to live as long as possible. The the disaster of death is why the pandemic is such a big deal. It's why the whole area of medicine is such a big deal in our world. Just think about how much money and how much effort goes into extending our lives and nurturing our health. This is all the fight against death. As human beings, we do almost anything to extend our lives and the lives of our loved ones. And death is the great enemy of that. No matter what we do as human beings, no matter how much money we spend, no matter how much collective brain power we put towards healing sickness and extending life, Every single person eventually dies. Jesus rose from the dead, and the Bible speaks of that as a victory over death. The great news of the Bible is that Jesus Christ has won the victory over death. That is far better news than even the news of a vaccine for the COVID-19 virus would be. It would be wonderful news, of course, And hopefully we will hear that news sooner rather than later. But even if a perfectly effective virus, a vaccine would be available in massive quantities tomorrow, every life saved now would still eventually be lost. But what God has accomplished through Christ is the defeat of death itself. In John 11, 26, Jesus says, Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Well, the most well-known verse in the Bible is John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life. The longing for eternal life is a theme in the literature of the ages. It has been a dream of the human race to live forever. The goal of medicine has been to extend human life as long as possible. And it has been remarkably successful due to the ability that God has given humans to find solutions to problems. The dream of eternal life is still alive in the minds of certain dreamers who believe that there will come a time when humans will conquer death The good news of Easter is that it has already been done and that that is the true meaning and goal of history. The biblical biblical account of history leads to eternal life. The goal of God's purposes is eternal life with God in a renewed creation. And at the center of that glorious and certain hope is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, significantly, the resurrection hope in the Bible is not that we will not die physically. 
The resurrection hope in the Bible is very different <coughs> from the desire <coughs> of human beings for this hum- for this present life to continue indefinitely. The biblical hope <coughs> of the resurrection is much different and it is much better. It is much different because it involves going through physical death and it involves our souls living on in the presence of God until the return of Christ when our souls and bodies will be reunited in the general resurrection. And it is much better because it is rooted in Jesus' victory over sin so that eternal life is a much greater and fuller life than the life of this present age. And Paul makes this point in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, where he says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. His point in this section is that if Christ had not raised from the dead, there is no hope for humanity in verse 17 of the same section, he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. An essential part of the resurrection hope is not the current life continuing, but a different way of living that begins now and will continue forever. And that different way of living is a life in which the curse and the power of sin has been removed. Those who believe in Jesus are no longer in their sins. The way that Jesus won the victory over death is by winning the victory over sin. There is an inseparable connection between sin and death in the Bible, and that's why death will always be a reality in a sinful world. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the result of what Jesus accomplished by his perfect life and his death on the cross. Jesus won the victory over sin, first by living a sinless life, and second by paying the penalty for sin by his death. And once that had been done, the resurrection had to happen because the penalty for sin had been paid. Death is the penalty for sin. When the penalty for sin is paid, the prisoner goes free. Just as sin leads to death, so the victory over sin results in the victory over death. That's the connection that Paul is emphasizing in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. The implication of this is that Since Christ has been raised, your faith is not futile, it is effective, and you are no longer in your sins. The resurrection of Christ means that believers are no longer in their sins, and since they are no longer in their sins, the justice of God requires that they also be set free from death. And that's why believers receive eternal life already in this life. Eternal life is the life that results from Jesus paying the penalty for sin. Because he paid the penalty for sin, he rose from the dead. 
and since he stood in the place of his people, they share in his resurrection life, which is eternal life. Now, there are benefits to that in this life already. If we believe in Jesus, we share in his resurrection life in the here and now. We have eternal life in the here and now. That means forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, freedom from the power of sin so that we are growing in living life to the glory of God. There are this worldly benefits to the resurrection of Christ. But 1 Corinthians 15 focuses on the benefits of the resurrection of Christ beyond this life. There are many benefits of salvation in this life, but the biblical perspective is always the best is yet to come. We're always pointed to the future where we'll experience the fullness of our salvation, which is the fullness of life. Think of what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. It's a very interesting statement. And what it does is powerfully direct our hope to what lies beyond this earthly life. We are so supremely blessed as believers because we have hope beyond this life. And that hope is rooted in the resurrection of Christ which guarantees our future resurrection. Paul continues to point us beyond this earthly life when he refers to the resurrection of Christ as the first fruits of the full harvest of the resurrection to come. In verse 20 he says, But in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And in verse 23 he says, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and then in his coming, those who belong to Christ. So he's pointing to the resurrection of the body of believers at the end of the age when Jesus returns. He's using the imagery of first fruits. The first fruits were the first part of the harvest that were offered to God, but they were the first part of the full harvest that was to come. And the point is, there is one harvest, and the first fruits are the harbinger of the full harvest that is to come. In this case, the resurrection of Jesus is the first fruits. And the full harvest to come is the resurrection of the people of God at the end of the age. And so Paul is pointing us to the fulfillment of the Christian hope. This hope is for the resurrection of our bodies. It is an embodied life in God's love and favor on a renewed creation. There's more in this chapter that points us to the future. Verses 24 through 26, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Paul here again points points our hope towards the end. When the victory Jesus has accomplished <clears throat> will be brought to its culmination. Jesus' victory means that there are losers. 
And here the losers, the vanquished, the conquered, are the enemies of God. He calls them rules, authorities, and powers. These are powers that are opposed to God. The enemies are unrepentant sinners, and death is the result of, and the death that is the result of sin. What Jesus has overcome is all opposition to God and all the consequences of that opposition to God. In the end, that believers are hoping towards is a world where God's reign is uncontested because sin and death have been conquered. That is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God comes fully when every rule and authority and power is destroyed. And that is when all of God's enemies are destroyed, when God's kingdom is the only kingdom and everything is in subjection to God. Verse 28, when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. This is what Jesus began to achieve by his death and resurrection in which he will bring to its culmination when he returns. That is when he will resurrect his people from the grave. The future that we look forward to is life forever in resurrected bodies, in a kingdom where God's rule is no longer contested, where God is all in all, where sin and sorrow are no more. That is the kingdom of God in its fullness. It will be glorious because everyone there will be loving and serving and enjoying God. It will be glorious because there'll be no more sin, no more death. It will be glorious because we will be there if we are believers, not as disembodied souls, but as fully glorified human beings, souls and bodies reunited and glorified, resurrected bodies, in a renewed creation. That is our hope. The heart of it is being with God, joyfully serving the king and flourishing through serving the king. We will have our bodies back, renewed and glorified. God will be the focus and we will know the blessing of sinlessness, loving God and our neighbor perfectly. All the negativity gone forever because sin and death have been overcome. This is the meaning of the resurrection of Jesus, life forevermore in Jesus, focused on loving and pleasing the Father. And this passage gives us an inkling of what it will be like. It does that by giving us some hints about what our glorified, uh, resurrected bodies will be like. That's verses 42 through 44. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised, imperishable. What is sown in dishonor, it is raised 
in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is both a sameness and a difference. In each case, it is the same body that Paul is speaking about. This is not a completely different body. The same body that goes into the grave will come out of the grave. It is not a completely different body, and yet it will be renewed in wonderful ways, ways suited for the new environment of the new creation. Our bodies will no longer be perishable. Our bodies are perishable now. We are subject to sickness. As we age, our bodies break down, and we all eventually die. That will no longer be the case when we are raised from the dead. Our bodies will be imperishable. They will never break down. They will never get sick. They will never grow old. These bodies are designed to last for forever, imperishable. And they will be glorious, Paul says. Our bodies are sown in dishonor. Dead bodies must be disposed of. That's what graves are for. They hide the dead body from our sight. There is something dishonorable about a dead body. It is hidden from sight. But those same bodies of the saints will come out of those graves glorious. We don't know exactly what that means, but it is the opposite of the dishonor in which the dead are buried. Glorious is beautiful. God is really good at beauty. Think of some of the things in the creation that we call glorious. All kinds of things that are so breathtakingly beautiful that we say they are glorious. Whatever precisely our glorified bodies will look like, they will be awesomely beautiful, healthy, bursting with life, And there'll be no vanity, there'll be no haughtiness. Each one will give glory to God and count others more glorious than themselves. And they'll be powerful. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. Our current bodies have power, and that's part of the wonder of being human. We can do things, but we're also aware of weakness. That weakness increases as we grow older until all the power is gone, our bodies go into the grave in utter weakness. But they will come out of the grave powerful in ways that we can't even begin to comprehend. We will have powerful bodies because God will have stuff for us to do. God is not going to give us powerful bodies for no reason. We will have power to do things, to use that power in the service of God. And because there will be no more curse, we will exercise that power without frustration. God is going to give us strong, powerful bodies in which to serve him. And finally, spiritual. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. The distinction here is emphatically not between physical and non-physical. The resurrection of the body, the resurrected body will be a body. A physical body, otherwise it would not be a resurrection. The distinction between natural and 
spiritual here is not between physical and not physical, but between a body which is focused on this earthly life and one which is designed for the new creation. As one commentator puts it in this passage, the distinction has to do with the difference between ordinary human life and life empowered by God's Spirit. The word spiritual in the New Testament almost always has to do with the Holy Spirit. And so a spiritual body here is one that is walking in step with the Spirit. The whole passage points us to the future. The resurrection of Christ has blessings now already, but the fullness of those blessings await the final resurrection. We are brought from spiritual death to spiritual life in the here and now. And one of the things that spiritual life gives us is hope for what is to come, the resurrection of the body and everlasting life. In this earthly life, we live in the shadow of death. Death is the great enemy. But the resurrection of Christ means that God has defeated death through the saving work of Jesus Christ. And so for those who believe in Jesus, there is a certain hope of a glorious future. Death is not the end. It is, in fact, a new beginning. First, as our souls go immediately to be with Christ, But then at the second coming, when we are raised from the dead, we will receive our imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual bodies. Then we will know fullness of life that is far beyond the greatest blessedness that we have known in this life. The Bible certainly emphasizes the significance of this earthly life. But at the same time, there is a huge emphasis on the fact that the best is yet to come and that the glory, the, the, the renewed person has a longing for the glory that awaits us. The resurrection of Jesus certainly has implications for us in the here and now, but it also points us to the resurrection of our bodies, and so to the future, where we will enjoy the culmination of our salvation. And that is a great comfort in the face of death. Whether that is the death we will all die or the way that we are faced with death in this pandemic, whether times are pleasant or whether they are hard, the Lord points us to the future beyond this life. Death is still a reality in our world, but the sting of death has been removed by the victory over sin and death that Jesus won, and which the resurrection demonstrates. So Paul sums up a glorious Hope of the resurrection, verses 53 through 57. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the hope that we celebrate at Easter. Jesus' victory over sin and death. And because of that victory, we can look beyond the pain and the troubles of this life to the glorious future that awaits us 
in a world where sin and death will be no more. Let's pray. Our great and glorious life-giving God, we come before you and we do indeed celebrate what you have achieved through Jesus Christ our Lord that comes into focus in the resurrection. O Lord, we are so grateful that we have this news in your word, this certainty of a real physical resurrection that happened in time uh, almost 2,000 years ago. And we are grateful that that single resurrection has implications for everything, that it has implications for all who are be, all who believe in him, who trust in Jesus and follow him. For it is the first fruits of our resurrection at the end of the age. And we thank you that we can live our lives knowing that death will not have the final word and that we are traveling toward something that is far greater than the best of what we experience now because we will be closer to you. Our hearts will have been completely made new. We will worship you without sin. We will serve you physically with our bodies in a new creation, a renewed creation, and we'll do that for your glory and honor. We thank you for that glorious hope Pray that you would help us to live in the light of it. Pray that you would help us to, to process what's going on in our world right now and how it may impact us also in the light of this wonderful hope that we celebrate today. In Jesus' name, amen.